once came another man who... Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young, a superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be down in flames. My style. My style skills. Okay, welcome back to the Chess Underground. I am here uh, with the November installment with a very special guest um, straight from chess.com, Isaac Steinkamp. Um, Isaac, I'll let you introduce yourself. Hey, nice to you know join you on your podcast. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, I am chess.com's director of strategy. Uh, but more relevant to this podcast, you know, I work closely with Pete uh, to make sure that uh, chess.com and US Chess can continue to work working together even in this time of stress uh, in this crazy year that is 2020. Crazy indeed. I mean, you know, one of the things that we've seen since uh, things went off the rails, if you will, is a, is a shift in the way tournaments and chess has occurred, which we're definitely going to get to. I want to talk a lot about that. Um, but Isaac, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I think some of our tournament directors who listen to the show and who um, are interested in chess and who follow along probably may know a little bit about you, but what got you, you know, what got you into chess? What got you started? Where did you begin? Um, you know, give us a little background. Yeah. Um, well, I think I have the same stereotypical story as a lot of people do who, you know, grew up playing chess through the scholastic scene. Um, I was in kindergarten and a representative of the Virginia Scholastic Chess Association basically was allowed by our school to go to every single kindergarten class and basically show like, here's how you move the pieces. This is what checkmate is. If you like chess, come join the chess club. Um, and I just remember really being interested by the, the combinations and just like the way pieces move together. Obviously I was a pretty weak player myself at that time. So I didn't understand why the pieces were moving in that way, but I found it illuminating. And I remember going home and, you know, playing games with uh, my dad and my dad's, you know, for context, probably around like 900 strength. So, you know, for someone who's just a beginner, that's like a perfect level opponent to play against because they're just good enough to beat you at the beginning. But if you do a little bit of tactical work, you can start to have competitive games really quickly. Yeah. Um, and from then on, it was pretty quick. I remember playing my first tournament when I was in the first grade. And then by the time I was in third grade, I was actually the top seed in the K3 um, Virginia State Championship. Wow. Uh, playing board one. Uh, obviously, I didn't win that event, but um, that was, you know, I remember that being like a really cool moment for me as a, a scholastic player. And, you know, chess has obviously been a big part of my life since then. Um, and, you know, it's led to where I am now. Yeah. I mean, how, how does someone get into working with, you know, an online, uh, you know, major playing site like chess.com? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people who knew me back in high school, you know, when I, when I sync up with them now, they always say like, wow, so this like really worked out for you. And you know, it was all part of the plan all along. And <laughs> the funny thing about it is that, you know, for the longest time, I just saw chess as this opportunity to explore and research things that, you know, didn't necessarily relate to like the real world, if you will. Um, I, I found that to be a particularly mm -hmm. exciting refuge from my day to day. Um, and so 
I never really thought of it as a professional opportunity until my senior year of college. Um, you know, for reference, I, I had spent the last three years thinking that I wanted to use my analytical background to work in campaign strategy. Uh, and so I'd worked with um, oh, various wow. political okay. parties. I'd worked with uh, worked with a national level government committee. Uh, I can't specify which, which one that was uh, by contract, but um, I'd really thought for the first three years of my undergraduate experience, I really wanted to get into political strategy. But after actually experiencing what that was like and working with people that I'd be working with, if I were to go down that route, I kind of realized that wasn't really my fit. Okay. Uh, and so I had to take a step back and think about, you know, I have all these analytical skills and, you know, I know what I'm really passionate about. How do I make, make that work? How do I, you know, go from graduating as a senior to working on something that you know, I know I can go in and sign into work and be really proud of the work that I'm doing. And so chess.com at that point was really starting to come into its own on Twitch. And, you know, through all various connections that I had had through, you know, being a manager in the pro chess league and running my own chess website at the time, it was pretty easy for me to get in contact with um, people who I work with now and ask them about, you know, their day-to-day -day chess.com. And I realized it would be a really good fit for me and at the very least really helped me develop my skill set in a way that, had I had gone to work for a larger corporate entity, I just wouldn't have had the experience that I've had now. And so it's been a really rewarding experience. Um, awesome. I, I've been asked a lot, you know, if, you know, if this is what I always wanted to do. And I, I think the answer is I'm still, I'm still learning. And, you know, it's a very rapidly changing landscape and that makes it really fascinating. Uh, and, I, and I'm just happy to be uh, where I'm at. You know, um, it, it's funny because listening to you speak, I, this is an audio format and of course can't see, but I was just nodding my head the whole time. It, it, it sounded a lot, you know, like I think a lot of people's experiences, you know, working with chess is, you know, you're trying to find a way to use some of your skills and mesh that with your interests and where do those intersect and what can you do with them? Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, you know, you mentioned at the end there about how rapidly things are changing. And that was one of the things that you and I had discussed sort of pre-show about, this massive influx of the interest in chess and in particular online chess this year where people are stuck at home, people are, uh, you know, trying to avoid the pandemic, you know, I initiated this year's theme for my podcast, which was tournament life with the plan of investigating tournaments and talking about tournaments. And here we are in a, in a year where all of the tournaments, the over the board tournaments have, have disappeared essentially you know, with a few select uh, exceptions. How has this massive, you know, truly unprecedented massive shift towards online play and online chess, how has this impacted chess.com? How has, how have things changed for you and for the company? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't, you know, as someone who's experiencing quarantine and, you know, trying to not go outside to not, you know, basically get infected with the coronavirus, you know, I, you know, it, it's weird for me to say that, you know, chess.com has seen a lot of its growth because precisely what you mentioned, people are locked up at home and are looking for something to do. But, you know, for chess.com, that growth has been substantial. When I started working, you know, full time at chess.com, we were, we had about low 30 million um, users on site. And today we just, you know, crossed over 45 million. Um, and at our current pace, you know, we're, we're at all time record levels of over a hundred thousand onboards a day and 1.4 million. Uh, onboards every month. Whereas, you know, last year at this time, we were looking at about 400,000 new users every month coming to chess.com, which of course, that's still a significant number, but it just goes to show 
um, the transition that chess has had and the impact that a lot of the work that you know high level chess players have are able to do uh, like are able to to create um, in terms of getting people to come and play chess for the first time a lot of that has been happening on twitch you know even before the pandemic and you know a lot of it is also happening because of you know events like pog champs or you know even the queen's gambit which you know we were talking before uh, before the podcast and i think i told you that uh, from a from a popular culture standpoint it is probably the biggest cultural shift for chess since Harry Potter had, you know, had chess basically inserted as a critical scene in the Sorcerer's Stone. And that was back in 2001. <laughs> I hadn't even started playing chess yet. So um, right. it's really been fascinating to see all of these different people coming together and playing chess for the first time. And, you know, for chess.com, it's been really interesting to learn how these people interact with our game. You know, as someone who grew up playing a lot of events in the USCF and grew up organizing events on the scholastic scene, it's really easy to feel that everybody grows up playing chess the same way. But one of the things that was really illuminating for me, even before the coronavirus pandemic hit, was that there are a lot of people who come back and they say, oh yeah, I remember chess. I played it once in high school. I sucked at it, but I want to play a game. Let's see what happens. And that is honestly a really big part of the community that you and I uh, you know, enjoy every day. And, you know, it, I think it's really telling. I think Emil Satovsky tweeted not too long ago that there were like 900,000 active players in FIDE, um, you know, for events, you know, over the past you know, year plus, obviously, because coronavirus, you know, put an end to events. Now, that's 900,000 people. That's a lot of people. But the greater chess community on chess.com, you know, we're over 45 million now. And so it really goes to show how small we are in this really big world. And it's a really exciting moment for chess. And there's just so many different opportunities for, you know, uh, organizations like chess.com and us chess to really be able to grow and capitalize on that growth. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny, like the different circles of chess, right. You know, like the casual player, the serious player, the tournament player, you know, the grandmaster and so on. I remember reading some statistic last year that there was an estimate that close to a billion people worldwide knew how to play chess, you know, in some degree, um, which is just a, which is just a crazy number, um, to even wrap your head around. And then to think about, you know, okay, now out of that billion, you know, how many play with only their family, how many play with their friends, how many have an online account somewhere, you know, how many are a member of FIDE and, and what each ring entails and, and, and so on and so forth. Right. You know, it's funny, what would be the number three? So like, clearly I think number one is Beth Harmon, right. In terms of pop culture moments that have impacted chess. Number two, for the sake of argument, we'll go with Harry Potter chess scene, right? What's number three? Is it like, have you ever seen, I might be dating myself a bit here, but have you ever seen the movie Fresh? I have not. Ooh, okay, chess movie. Although I don't think, I think it was kind of like one of those, you know, like under the radar cult movies, you know? Like either you know about it or you don't. So I don't think it was one that like drew people into the game. You know what I mean? Is there even a number three? I mean, it's really funny because, you know, being, being someone who enjoys all chess content, you know, it's really easy to just try to point a finger at like mm. Brooklyn Castle or Searching for Bobby Fischer or Pawn Sacrifice. Right. You know, having watched all oh, of those Searching movies, for Bobby Fischer. And, you know, Mike Klein, yeah. um, who works for Chess Kid now on our side, um, we're on this call. He, w- he would adamantly tell you that Searching for Bobby Fischer is third because he is the bad guy in that movie. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I, I, I genuinely don't think that they're, there is a third that even warrants being on the same plane of discussion as, you know, Harry Potter and then the Queen's Gambit. Um, 
And, and I think that goes to show how much opportunity there is for a game like chess to really be resembled in, in popular culture in, in a way that's beneficial for, you know, for chess. You know, I think every time when th- someone thinks of chess and popular culture is a positive thing, that does a lot for the, you know, the capital that chess is able to have in terms of convincing the younger generation that this is a really cool game and just the opportunities on the board are endless and fascinating. And, um, you know, with chess, chess is just general impact on Twitch and on YouTube and its ability to reach new users and new audiences in a way that it just hasn't been able to do before. That messaging is more critical now than ever. You know, you mentioned something as you were speaking there about the, just the infinite possibilities of the game, right? Um, just last night, in fact, it's amazing how omnipresent chess is in pop culture. You know, it, it's places where you're not even expecting it. I was watching an episode of Blacklist, if you're familiar with the show, and like right. Red was just sitting in the park playing a game of chess. And my wife, who fell in love with Queen's Gambit on Netflix, has asked me to teach her how to play. And last night I mentioned just, I don't know, out of the blue, that there's more permutations of a chess game than there are atoms in the observable universe. And uh, she just couldn't believe it. Right. You know, it was just the sheer amount of possibility that exists within a game. Um, it's fascinating, and and I think you know honestly that's you know to your point, just the things that you can that you can get intrigued with and fall in love with as as you're playing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you know uh, one of the things that in terms of in terms of the, the influence of pop culture on a game that we see is the growing in numbers. But you mentioned Twitch, you know, could you speak a little bit to that? Because you you said that's how I got involved with chess.com. That's where I became another way, I believe, personally, in which um, chess is growing. Well, definitely in which chess is growing, but also in which we see the, you know, again, the relationship with pop culture is how we are consuming the game. You know, when I was a kid, and I don't know if you had the same experience, but it was like a chess book, maybe like a friend or a teacher who played, you know, that's kind of where you went. And these days, I mean, you can you can log onto Twitch and you can watch any number of channels that you want. There's all sorts of cool stuff going on. You know, you reference the Pog Champs. Where do you see, you know, not only I, I guess my main question is where do you see this going? You know, what what's the future in that regard, and and how will it impact you know how we consume just moving forwards? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really fascinating space because you know when we think about chess on Twitch and its general growth. I mean, it's, it's been substantial. And part of that has been just because of the regular programming provided by, you know, all of the primary platforms now within the online chess industry. But a lot of that has also been really developed by individuals who have dedicated a lot of time to the growth of their own um, Twitch or YouTube channels. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people who probably listen to your podcast at this point are familiar with Hikaru Nakamura's Twitch channel, uh, the success of Alexander Botez, Levy Rosman is now growing at a particularly fast rate on Twitch. And I think the thing that I've learned now from having worked at chess.com throughout the coronavirus is, you know, there's always, you know, the opportunity to play games, but there's almost, you know, there's almost always that need to have that social interaction. And that's where I think Twitch and chess have really had that moment to shine in 2020, um, where a lot of these, um, enthusiastic presenters of the game are really able to connect with their viewers in a way that people just didn't realize was accessible before this year. And I think that, you know, beyond just the, you know, what the core platforms are able to do from an online standpoint, you know, having 
individual advocates for the game who are perceived to be, you know, really cool and talented individuals who rather than being closed minded and limiting themselves to other elite players are finally opening up and, you know, really sharing this message in a way that hasn't been delivered before, you know, that, that is the opportunity for Twitch and YouTube. Um, you know, there's events that, you know, chess.com has run um, with pog champs where we really proofed this out by bringing in non chess players to play in, one of the highest stakes chess events that we've ever run. Um, and I was just looking over the numbers the other day and we had over 179 million minutes watched in that event, an event that just lasted, wow. you know, a little bit over 10 days. And so that really goes to show the cultural impact and the need for that kind of content, the need for community. Um, and that's, that's what I've really seen as the potential for platforms like Twitch and YouTube and, you know, any other streaming platform that were to, you know, potentially be released in the upcoming, you know, upcoming years. And that, that has been one of our biggest areas in terms of being able to consistently reach out to new, new players, new audiences, get them to start playing chess for the first time on chess.com. And, um, you know, we're really passionate about the audience that we've been able to curate, um, both on Twitch and on YouTube. I, I think, you know, you're 100% uh, hit it right on the nail there when you said, you know, you brought up the social aspect. You know, you think about going to a chess club or, to a tournament, all the things you can't do right now, you know, but you can interact in a Twitch chat, you know, you can interact directly even with the, with the advocate. And I love that word, you know, that's, that's really what they are, right? They're advocates for the game. And we see that all across the, the screaming, the screaming sphere, if you will. Speaking of the social element and the social aspect of it, you know, people who have been devoid of tournaments um, for a while are, are looking to play, you know, as you mentioned, your, your record numbers that that uh, are moving online right now. I'm going to kind of toot both of our own horns here for a moment, but I, I think you and I, you know, recently came up with a pretty cool idea, and I want to talk about that, um, which is what we're in the middle of right now. It's historic in a way, I would say. Um, it's unique, uh, and from what we've seen so far after just one day, I think it's filling some of that need for that social interaction. Um, and of course, I'm talking about the currently ongoing, and by the time our listeners listen to this, the first week when, weekend will have finished, but there's still meant plenty left to come, uh, U.S. Championship Online Qualifier. So how, how, where did this begin? Um, because actually, if I, if I remember correctly, way back a few, several months ago when we first started talking about it, um, you pitched the idea. So, so where, what, was your, what was your thinking? Where did it begin? Yeah, I mean, when, when we're looking for, you know, opportunities to really celebrate our community on chess.com we're really looking for how do we empower people within our community to be more active and you know better, better representatives of the game and you know as soon as you know the pandemic hit we knew that you know the partners that we worked the closest with on a day-to-day -day basis they would suffer the most um and that's you know that's been true i mean you know as you headlined with the podcast a lot of tournaments have been canceled this year and unfortunately that's resulted in a lot of clubs being um, forced to shut down or, you know, forced to completely cancel their calendars until the pandemic is over, which at this point we still don't know exactly when that would be. And so, you know, once the pandemic hit, you know, we believed it was our responsibility, you know, as the market leader for online chess to at least offer a home for a lot of these clubs to continue providing their services and providing an outlet um, for their players to play. Because, you know, one thing that, you know, we really like about U.S. chess is that you guys are able to really empower people at a local level in a way that chess.com can't. 
Um, and we felt that that was of particular importance. And that kind of you know, brought this idea of online rated games to fruition. And you know, after basically establishing a baseline for that and realizing that at that point, the coronavirus just seemingly was not going to end within the calendar year, we started looking ahead to see what uh, what what were the what was the full impact of you know what this year would do to the chess calendar. And we realized that you know the U.S. Open, which is one of U.S. chess's most historic events, um, could simply just not happen given the number of people who play every year and the need for social distancing and you know the fact that there's you know potential you know sponsors involved. And you know we wanted to be able to offer what the U.S. chess offers in, in, a, in a way that was responsible, but in a way that really celebrated that tradition. And, you know, one of the things that I told you when, you know, we pitched this event, uh, you know, to U.S. chess was that what U.S. chess does for the average player, that is the only opportunity that most people have to qualify for the U.S. championship. And you know, while most people who ever, you know, play in a U.S. chess event have a very, very slim chance of qualifying, in order to have a legitimate recurring national championship it's important to provide that path for users and you know on our side what better way to celebrate the need to build a diverse and strong and healthy community than through an online version of what the u.s open has to offer and so that's why it was really important to us to run the u.s championship online qualifier and why even one of our prizes is a random trip to, uh, is a random winner will win a trip to the 2021 U.S. Open, um, and that was you know something that we really believed in, and you know we we pitched that to you guys from day one, and then we ran from that ever since. Yeah, you know I think back to um, the first U.S. Open I played in, and and it was kind of that awe-inspiring moment. You know, you you feel the tradition, and I, that's kind of a weird thing to say, right? That's a really like abstract idea, but when you're there and you're playing in it. You know, uh, I remember when I was watching the Queen's Gambit, for example, and I saw her go to play in a U.S. Open, you know, I thought, hey, I've, I've played in one of those. You know, <laughs> that that right. tournament is still happening. That tournament is still going on. And the tradition of, you know, the quote unquote Beth Harmons of the world, you know, the unknown players who come out of nowhere and can play uh, and having a shot at participating in the actual U.S. championship. I think that's a really important tradition to maintain. Absolutely. And on that point, I mean, one of the things that you and I, discovered today before the under 1600 sections started was you know, there were 379 people who registered for this event who have never played in a U.S. chess event over the border online ever and had just created a chess.com account to play in this event. And a lot of that is obviously inspired by what the Queen's Gambit has to offer, but really goes to show the power of these community um, serving events that can really help build that dream um, for, for a lot of young players across the country. Absolutely. I mean, and, and just knowing, you know, knowing you have a shot, knowing that that chance is there, you know, the door is open. It, look, it's a, it's a narrow door and only one person can fit through. But just knowing that there is a path, I think, really motivates a lot of players. And, uh, you know, what better, what better way to do it than, than an open event? You know, speaking of this, this qualifier system, it's, it's really quite unique. Um, how did you come up with the the stages that um, we have sort of set to ultimately qualify and send someone to play with all the top players, you know, the Nakamura, Fabiano, et cetera? Where was the genesis, genesis for this idea? Where did, where did it come from? What's the, the benefit and the bonuses, that sort of thing? Yeah, so for a lot of our followers that have been around for 
several years. Uh, I know a lot of players are familiar with the World Fisher Random um, chess championship that we ran, which ultimately led to Wesley So beating Magnus Carlsen in the finals in Norway. Um, and that was the basis of inspiration for this event. And one of the reasons for that was, um, you know, we had run this concept before, but we also knew that, you know, if you're a 1600 rated player and you're playing in this, you know, you're probably humble enough to realize your chances of winning the event are, are very slim, possible, but very slim. But having these class-based phased qualifier systems, that's a really great way to give every player the opportunity to feel like they can be competitive within their own class. And so while a 1600 is not likely to advance from the under 1600 section all the way through and winning the final round robin, it might be more meaningful to that player to know that they were the best under 1600 rated player in the entire event. And being able to create that phased qualifier system also helps create a lot of trust among the players and knowing that they're going to have every chance offered them to them to basically move on to the next level. And while they may assess their individual chances as particularly slim, it's more about really being able to create a system where everybody feels like they can be a winner at their own phase of that event. And that's one of the drivers for what we think will make this event successful. And, you know, based on the, the playing numbers for today, I believe we hit 380 total players in the under 1600 section with a lot of chess still to go. Um, you know, relative to U.S. Open turnout, you know, I, I'd like to you know, pat ourselves on the back, yeah. a little, back a little bit and say that you know, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think you know the the turnout that we saw in just uh, just for our listeners, this is being recorded the Saturday night after the first qualifier, which was the under sixteen hundred qualifier, concluded, and we saw some fantastic turnout. Probably by the time you are hearing this, we'll have our, our second day of qualification um, complete as well. Uh, we had fantastic turnout. I, I think it really went well. And Isaac, to your point, you know, it shows that community coming together uh, and also, you know, being able to provide uh, something for those players who, who want to play, you know, who want to participate in this in this uh, really cool qualification system. Um, so Isaac, you know, along, along those lines, uh, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is the, the, the final stages of the qualification um, where we're going to have uh, a field of grandmasters basically play two open qualifiers in terms of um, an eight player round robin and the winner of that round robin moves on. Could you let our listeners know a little bit about um, sort of how that final phase works, um, where they can watch it and, and all that sort of good stuff? Absolutely. Um, so for this event, we've just finished the under 1600 tonight um, and tomorrow, our, and this will have concluded by the time our, uh, your listeners have listened to the podcast. Tomorrow will be the 2000, uh, the under 2000 section. So everybody from 1601 to 2000chess.com rapid rating will have their chance to play tomorrow. Right. Very important point. If you do want to participate, this is chess.com rapid rating. So the good news there is you still have time to work on it. Absolutely. Right. Where you, <laughs> whereas you wouldn't be able to play an OTB uh, event right now and, and increase your rating, especially that quickly, more than likely chess.com rapid ratings are a little different. You can log in and play anytime. Um, so if you're listening to this and you want to play and you're like, eh, I'm like right there, maybe I could get there. You've got time. Yeah. Go grind those points. So after after this week, next week will be. I've spent too many nights of my life like grinding a bullet rating for no no apparent reason whatsoever, other than I really want to get to twenty four hundred tonight. You know. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, usually I'm grinding my rating down and not up, so that's a different story. <laughs> um, but but yeah, as soon as um, you know this weekend is wrapped up, you know the twenty eighth will mark the two thousand one to twenty four hundred section, and the 29th will be twenty four hundred plus. 
Um, mm-hmm. As soon as that phase of the event is finished, the top 20 and players tied for 20th place, so you know a sizable number of players, um, will get to advance to the final Swiss. Uh, and that'll be a seven-round 10-0 um, Swiss, where the top eight players will then move on to a final bracket um, on the following day. So that'll be on December 6th. That bracket will basically limit the field down to two people, and those final two people will advance to the final round robin, where six players have already been pre-selected by US Chess and Chess.com uh, based on various requirements that they had in order to be eligible to compete. And so with that eight-player field, it's a, a, it's a one-game-a-day round robin um, starting on December 11th and running all the way through December 18th. And basically, all of these 25, 2600 rated grandmasters are going to really have to bring it if they want to qualify for the U.S. championships. And the winner um, will then advance to the U.S. championships. Now, all of this will be broadcast on chess.com's Twitch and YouTube channels. So that's twitch.tv slash chess. That's youtube.com slash chess. And that's chess.com slash TV. Um, You'll be able to watch all of the coverage there. And all of the rounds conveniently start at 2 p.m. Pacific time across all phases of the event. So that's 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. It's consistent across the entire event. If you don't want to play in the event because you're afraid of, you know, that rust that that's probably built up this calendar year, I know I am. <laughs> I've got tons um, of rust. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can watch on our, you know, you can watch our broadcast on our, you know, on our various streaming platforms. And you know, to that point, we had eight thousand five hundred people today watching the um, under sixteen hundred qualifier at its peak. Um, you know, and averaging well over six thousand viewers throughout the entire duration of the event, which is very strong for a tournament with, you know, no well-known titled players or streamers or any any right. players of that regard um so a lot of people are really excited about you know this entire process and finding out who's going to be um that one mysterious representative who's going to automatically qualify for the 2021 u.s chess championship yeah i think that's just really neat you know just seeing the interest in this system you know we're, we're talking about an under 1600 tournament yeah. you know <laughs> this isn't like this isn't like the magnus carlson vishianans of the world this is this is an under 1600 tournament and we had we had such wonderful viewership uh which was really cool i think um one one final note before we move on because uh, i i know we have a few other things to talk about tonight but um that final qualification stage it's one game a day right right um there's a rest break in there it's essentially like a uh, one of those major international tournaments, you know, where this is a this is a serious event. It's a longer time control. We move from game ten for the qualifiers all the way up to game ninety plus thirty, um, and 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 it will be more. It will have a feel more of a you know serious one game a day rest days uh, type type system. So if you do make it through all the way, uh, you'll have uh, that experience as well. So Isaac, in addition to the U.S. Chess uh, qualifier, I know, I know you do a lot of work uh, behind the scenes with U.S. Chess, with us in terms of organizing events, with our local tournament directors and organizers. Could you give us a little bit of maybe like a behind the scenes look as to what goes into that and what you're dealing with um, to help get these U.S. Chess tournaments running smoothly? Yeah, so I remember when the, uh, when the pandemic started, um, one of the things that I started to do was I just pulled together a contact list of every single major affiliate within registered within us chess. that was both an active affiliate and had its contact information provided in its, um, in its affiliate guide to reach out to all of these organizers at a local level and say, Hey, like you guys can run your, your club events on chess.com. Um, and, and, you know, offer the same weekly programming 
you know, at least in the time, because at, the, at that time we thought coronavirus would maybe last like maybe three, six months. I mean, now that's laughable, but I mean, back in March, it was okay to be naive. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. We thought, okay, summer will come right. around. This will all go back to normal. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we reached, <clears throat> if only we were yeah, right. I mean, if only we were right, but yeah, we reached out to all of the organizers, not with any expectation that like, you know, they would definitely come to trust.com, but just to like extend that, you know, olive branch of like, Oh, we know that you guys really love playing over the board. We respect that. But, you know, if you guys are really craving chess, you know, for the first time ever, you know, basic members can create clubs on chess.com and do all of the things that clubs can really do. And we really invested a lot of energy up front and making sure that that foundation was there for club organizers as they started to move over. Um, the next step was a matter of, you know, working directly with you guys and, you know, basically establishing what does U.S. Chess online rated play look like? And, you know, obviously with, you know, a completely new medium of which players are playing the game on, um, you know, that that's asking a lot, obviously, from a rule book set. In terms it brings of, a lot of new challenges. You know, how, yeah. how do you administer things? And one of the, one of the mm-hmm. biggest challenges that we've had to you know, overcome and we're, I don't want to necessarily frame it as like, we're still learning how to overcome it. We're just understanding how to overcome it better, I guess, is the, mm. the elephant in the room that all organizers have when they think about running their first online event is what do I do about the cheating? Right. And one of the things that has been really interesting for us, you know, looking through all of the data sets that we have with regards to, you know, closures on chess.com, you know, players who are particularly vocal about cheating online you know, if you ask them about, you know, their games over the board, you know, I think you and I both know players where, you know, oh, the player got up and went to the bathroom. We, they were there for 10 minutes. The player got up and they talked to their friend in the Skittles room during their game. Sure. Uh, these mm-hmm. little micro chain incidences. And what we find is that oftentimes a lot of these accusations are true, um, you know, online when it comes to, you know, these, you know, reports that we may get from, you know, specific users. But then when it comes down to actually looking at like the number of, closures that we have i think the best i've the best i've done in terms of explaining how to think about like the number of incidents that occur online you know in a single calendar year you know let's just assume there's x number of over the board games played both in us chess other international federations local clubs all you know all games combined there are five and a half million games played on chess.com every single day and that was pre-pandemic and so while the ratio of incidents relative to you know fair games versus unfair games to that of you know over the board is actually strikingly similar based on you know what's been reported by various federations, mm. paranoid because they see more of it because we basically play all of the games that are ever played over the board in a year in less than a day, uh, and that's right. one of the challenges that you know we've you know we've had to overcome, and you know obviously. Uh, you know, you and I have worked really hard together to make sure that, you know, those, you know, that those issues are being worked through in a way that is responsible. And what we found is that, you know, organizers, you know, when given the resources are able to do the kinds of things to prevent that kind of behavior, whether that's having a Google call or a Zoom link available for their players or requiring their players to, you know, verify their membership with US Chess and go through the iterative steps to make sure that their players are doing the right things. And we've seen a lot of initiative happening at the tournament director level. That's basically meant that the fair play, you know, that we're able to track is basically consistent with the rest of our on-site population. And sure. one thing that you said that was really interesting to me a couple of weeks ago 
is just a sizable increase in the number of applications that you guys have uh, when it comes to local tournament directors and club level tournament directors, basically trying to organize their events for the first time, knowing that the first time they'll have ever hosted an event is online. And so, you know, this movement towards online rating, you know, I'm curious to see what it looks like beyond the end of the pandemic, right. but it definitely would not have been possible without, you know, just the relationship between chess.com and us chess, but just honestly on the local level, the amount of attention that tournament directors are willing to put into their tournaments, the amount of effort that they're willing to make sure that they're reaching out to their player base and make these events possible. And that's one of the things that has been really surprising about all of this is we thought there'd be a lot more skeptical um, tournament directors on the outside looking in, but instead there's a lot of proactive tournament directors on the inside looking out. Yeah. You know, I'll be, I'll be very honest. I, from the beginning, I, I would have considered myself one of the more skeptical right. tournament directors, you know, um, in terms of how am I going to hold a serious event, a club event and an online setting that feels like it's almost asking for trouble. You know, there's so many difficulties to overcome. And, and as you sit down and, and you know, sort of, as you pointed out, as you, as you put that work in, um, I think the understanding of, of what resources are available, you know, number one, um, you know, you mentioned like live calls, for example, uh, fair play monitoring, that sort of thing. As you begin to invest in and research into what it would take, the, the path becomes a little more clear. I think, I think a lot of players have that fear or preconception about, you know, putting themselves out there for a serious rated online game. Um, but then when you actually do it, when you take the step and do it, I think it's, it's a different ball game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely been interesting from our side. I mean, I definitely remember being skeptical before I was brought on full time, but then, you know, being able to see, mm -hmm. you know, all of the cool things that chess.com does behind the scenes, you know, the one, the one thing that made me really confident in online rated play in general for us chess was that, you know, we've been applying our algorithms and, you know, using our, you know, our leading tech to, to do this for mm -hmm. years, just on a much smaller scale. And what, you know, online rated play has allowed us to do is to be able to offer those services right. at a much bigger scale. And while, you know, the way that we're you know, being able to provide that for, you know, basically anybody who needs it is that that process is still evolving. What that's gone to show is that, you know, basically what we've had, the secret sauce that we've had from day one, that still works today, even if we're scanning millions and millions and millions of games every day. So let's say I'm, I'm one of those organizers. I'm just getting started, right? Maybe I'm, 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 maybe I'm brand new and my first event is going to be online. I'm, I'm a little apprehensive. What advice might you have for that TD, for that person, for that organizer? Um, what tips would you have? What would you say to them? I think having watched a lot of organizers run successful events um, where they've basically checked off all of the boxes and it's a, it's a great event and everybody's happy and, and so forth. I think the best thing to do is go play in a club event that's being run by a club that's had a history of running successful club events. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm here in Arlington, Virginia, and you know, my only club that I had pre coronavirus that I could play in was the Arlington Chess Club. And I'd go every Friday and play my weekly ladder game, and that'd be it. I wouldn't you know, have another over the board opportunity for the rest of the week, just Fridays at 8 p.m. Right. But now that everybody's online, the number of organizers that are out there and offering tournaments to just anybody who wants to play is frankly amazing. And, you know, 
you know, me sitting here in Arlington, Virginia now, I can go play in a game at the Marshall Chess Club or at the Mechanics Club or at the North Texas Chess Academy right. from the comfort of my home, as you know, obviously provided I'm, you know, a member of those organizations or whatever for the short term. But the point being is that those are opportunities that have never been had before. And even if you're an organizer and you're not particularly worried about you know, being able to win games or you know, anything like that, I think going through that experience with an organizer that's done it before in that capacity, that is, that is invaluable experience now. Um, once you've learned how other organizers do it, there are a lot of resources now on chess.com that basically offer walkthrough guides. Here's how you set up a club. Here's how you run a tournament within that club. If you want to make your club private because you need club dues for your club, you know, run it, run it this way, right? And so, right. definitely utilize all of the resources that are made available to you. Chess.com does a really great job of making that information public, mm-hmm. so you're able to access it without feeling like you need someone else there who's necessarily done it before for every single step of the way. Uh, and that's what we wanted to do when we started publicizing all of this information about how to run an online rated tournament on trust.com. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's just really important to emphasize that last point about, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's there's resources available to help you along the way. And um, I think that's great advice. You know, start start with playing, start with participating and seeing what others are doing and seeing what's out there. Um, you don't have to start from from square one from scratch. Uh, and I think that sometimes can feel daunting. You know, the feeling of I've got to do everything <laughs> from the beginning on my own. Right. But, but you don't. The resources are there. The experienced, um, the experienced aff- affiliates are there to um, learn from as well. You know, I've always wanted, uh, you just gave me a great idea as you were speaking there. I've always wanted to play in the Marshall Chess Club. And I've never actually made the trip out there uh, to do so. So maybe I can actually fix that. <laughs> I can check check that one off the bucket list by, by uh, participating in one of their online events. I don't know if that counts. I don't, I'm not sure if that would really... Uh, satisfied. I'm pretty sure Marshall Chess Club will count that. <laughs> they'll feel okay with it. They don't mind. I, I'm pretty sure they'll let you say that you played in the Marshall Chess Club if you played in one of their events on Chess.com. Okay. Well, there, see, there you go. There's another. There's another good reason to uh, to do it. Um, so Isaac, you know, uh, one one final thought here. You know, as as uh, as we move towards the end of our time, and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me tonight. I know we've we've both had a very long day uh, directing our, our under 1600 section, but. It was thrilling to sit down uh, and, and speak with you about some of the stuff that we've put so much work into. Um, I just wondered if you could give us a look towards the future. You know, do you have any exciting event, events coming up? Um, anything we should know about? And and not only that, but where do you see you know uh, this this growing towards? And and what are some things that you look forward to? Yeah, I'm. I mean, 2021. I think from just being <laughs> just not being 2020. That, that already is a good step, but I. I, I think you know, if you're right. a fan of chess, 2021 will hopefully have everything that you're looking for. And that that's not speaking just for chess.com. That's speaking about the entire industry. And what I mean by that is you can just look through the event calendar, you know, across all of the major platforms mm-hmm. offerings, as well as the return of, um, you know, prestigious over the board events that, you know, fingers, fingers crossed, crossed, of course, right? but, you know, especially later into the calendar year. Um, those those will be prominent. You've got candidates 2021. Um, you know, chess.com just announced the other day we have yeah. the exclusive broadcast rights for the World Chess Championship um, for 2021. So that's something that we're particularly excited about here at chess.com. And with just all of this 
you know, with all of this happening at the same time, I think we're going to have a really good idea at the end of the calendar year, what the trajectory for chess is as, as an industry. There's so many yeah. opportunities, even now, that chess could really, you know, be a part of that for whatever reason, they just haven't materialized yet. And a lot of that has to do because of the cultural stigma, not of the players in the community, but of the people outside of the community. And what I'm hoping is that with what the industry is able to provide in this upcoming year, we're really able to capture an audience that has never seen chess in the way that chess can be presented before. Um, and that can be through yeah. chess or wow. pog champs like events or with elite streamers playing off against each other or, you know, YouTubers from different parts of the planet, uh, you know, running their own different, you know, streamer events that, that will really give us key insights into what, uh, what chess can be. And I know that that's a very non-specific answer to your question. No, I mean, I, I think, look, you just put this image in my mind as you were speaking there and, and it, it's, it feels like chess is at the top of a stair staircase, you know, and they just need to take that final step and, and enter into this, this broad room of, of what we can become. You know what I mean? Like there's just that last little, mm, can we, can we get that last little step into some kind of new, almost in a weird way, almost like a new beginning, right? Absolutely. Like all of these, um, interfaces, you know, like the pog champs you mentioned, or I see uh chess base India today published something about, you know, that uh, a group of comics are going to be sitting down with chess players and playing a tournament, right. you know, comedians. Um, and you know, the broadening of the chess universe, it, it's like, it's there, right? It just, it, it's there, it's happening. Things like the queen's gambit, things like, you know, the, the Twitch explosion, all these players coming to the game and, there just needs to be that final step. And maybe that's what 2021 is. That, and that's the hope. I mean, I'm not just speaking for myself here as an employee of chess.com. I'm sure our colleagues over at our other competitors feel the same way. I really think looking back at this calendar year, 2020 was about realizing how big chess really is. I think, yeah. you know, as someone who's you know used chess.com, frankly, every single day dating back to 2012, it's really easy to feel like I'm in a small you know, community of people in my rating class, you know, people that I play chess with in person, you know, my colleagues at work now. But 45 million is a significant number. And right. as, you know, chess.com continues to grow and as our competitors continue to grow, our stake as an industry will continue to rise. For the first time, you know, in the history on Twitch, chess became a top 30 game across all categories on Twitch. That that's wow. pretty significant considering yeah, you know, no the kinds of games that you know, typically get featured on Twitch. For the first time, you know, chess.com is now a top 50 app on the iOS store um, for mobile downloads. That's pretty significant considering that only a couple spots above that is Candy Crush. And wow. what that really goes to show is that you know, as a community, we're a really big and passionate community. We, you know, we engage with our product and respect the tradition behind our product. When I say our product, I mean chess, not chess.com. Right. Um, right. In a way that a lot of other communities can't. But when you look at some of these other games that have had significant growth trajectories, those communities are a lot smaller. And so what this year was about was about realizing the potential of what chess can be. And what 2021 will be about is about making that come to fruition, being where our industry position puts us in 2022.
perfectly said. I, I, I think that's an excellent, excellent note to end on. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I hope, I hope that we can do that. I hope, I hope that final step happens and I hope uh, all of the potential becomes, you know, actualized and realized. Um, so Isaac Steinkamp again from chess.com. I can't thank you enough for carving time out of what I know is a very busy schedule for you these days to sit down and talk with us. Um, I, I'm sure that the insights you provided will be really appreciated by our listeners and, and hopefully some of them out there will even still be able to get into the uh, US Championship qualifier, which goes through mid-December, culminating in sending one player to the US Championship 2021. Isaac, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a US chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis.